Good evening. It is good to see you here tonight. As always, we're thankful for your presence. Uh, my family is here with us this, this today, and they've been with us since Thursday. I mentioned that this morning. I didn't take the time to tell them how grateful I am that they came. Um, they certainly didn't need to, but they did, and uh, I want them to know how much I appreciate that they thought enough of me to come and to make the journey, and it means so much uh, for them to do that. My father's 88, my mother's 78, and uh, she had to traverse Atlanta's airport to do it, and he had to sit in the car for 10 hours to do it. Some of my family have health issues. We have a brother-in-law that's all, he has suffered so much, and he came to, and uh, um, I was not just surprised, I was brought to tears. I really do appreciate them for coming. Somebody was talking to me over in the EOC this morning, and um, she said hello, we shook hands, she gave me a hug, I wish I could recall the name, but I cannot. And she said, um, so good to have your family here. I said, yeah, I think so too, it's really good to see them. She said, now, make sure you don't go back with them. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not gonna go back with that family because I'm already with family. We did have an awe moment together, but I'm glad you got that. Appreciate you so much. Tonight, we're talking about legacy. Leaving a legacy, what will your legacy be? We mentioned this morning that time is how we leave a legacy, and time is moving us forward, and we don't have much time. That leaving a legacy is unavoidable, and leaving a legacy is by choice, and a choice is present and perpetual, and once we die, legacies are permanent. We even asked this morning, what if we died last night? Well, you're here tonight, and thankfully, None of us did. And that brings us to the third point about legacies, and that is this. There's good news about legacies. And because legacies are the result of choices, no one's legacy is predetermined. Some of the more sad words in our vocabulary is we tell people they can't change. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. It's just not true. Once you're something, you are not always relegated to be that something. It doesn't matter what it is, because you can change. That's the good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the Bible makes it abundantly clear, and that every person who has become a Christian refutes that sentiment. Paul says to those Corinthian brethren, be not deceived. He wants them to understand and know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he wants them to know that neither adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covets, nor drunkards, nor extortioners, any of that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. You used to be those things, but you are no longer those things. And why not? Because you rewrote your legacy. He says, but you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. God has allowed you to be changed, and we can, and that's the good news about legacies. A son's legacy is not determined by his fathers. Ezekiel chapter 18 and the first 18 verses make this abundantly clear. There are three generations of individuals there. There is a father who is righteous, verses 5 through 9. There is a son who is wicked, verses 10 to 13. And then there's a grandson that's righteous. These three individuals each made their own decision, 
and two of those legacies are righteous and good, and one of them is not. The encouraging thing tonight is you can change. You're not predestined. Legacies can be altered. In this same chapter, God talks about it, beginning in verse number 20. Ezekiel 18, God reiterates, the person who sins, that's the individual that will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the son bear, bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. Each individual gets to decide. And then God says this, if a wicked man will turn away from his wickedness, that's the great news. It can be altered. It can be changed. If a man is going the wrong way, let's say you've been going the wrong way a long time in life, and sometimes you meet people and they tell you, I have been doing wrong for a very long time. Here's the good news. You don't have to continue that. It's likely that somebody could be here tonight needing to make a change. And the good news is you can. You can turn around. You can take another swing. God will have you back. In fact, we read it in Scripture over and over and over again. If you have your Bible, listen to this man talk about his life and the way he thought. Acts chapter 26, as he stands before the council and gives a defense, he looks back on his life and he tells us what he once thought to be the case. In Acts chapter 26 and verse number 9, as he stands before the council, he says this, so then I thought to myself that I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, and this is just what I did. In Jerusalem, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also them, he says, that they were being put to death. I cast my vote against him. If he had died in that state, that would be his legacy. But it's not. It got altered. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Same man, talking about his former life. As he looks back on it now in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13, he says this, I thank God, verse number 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has counted me worthy to be put into the ministry. He put me in the service. He, he counted me faithful. He goes on to say, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a worthy or trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I was that. That's the way I was. You know how this man's life will end. Listen to him talk near the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what he says. In fact, at the time of his writing, he's not far from death. And as he writes and pens, what really is his legacy, in fact, when we talk about Paul, these are the kinds of things we say. He said of himself in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Here is a man that went from, 
I thought I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Here's a man that went from, I arrested them, and then I, I encouraged them. I tried to make them blaspheme the name of Jesus, and I was consenting to their death, giving my voice against them, to an individual that says, I turned my life around by the grace of God, the mercy of God, and now I'm about to depart. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And so the question is, how then can I turn around? I'm headed the wrong way. Great. Okay. I want to turn around. Here's the good news. You can. What do you do? Number one, you want to leave a legacy, a good one, a righteous one, a spiritual one, like Paul. Number one, you must learn God's Word and have faith in God's power. If you're going to learn, if you're going to change your legacy, head it the wrong way, then learn God's Word and have faith in God's power to change you. God's Word is constant in this regard. It keeps inviting you to come learn. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus' invitation is open to all. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me ask you a question. Heavy laden with what? You know the Lord doesn't mean that people are carrying around sacks and weights on their back. That's not really what he means. He's not saying you're heavy and borne down by some physical weight that you're carrying. No, the heavy weight is sin, it's guilt, and all the accompanying side effects of that. You're heavy laden and burdened with going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. How do you change it? You come to me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, the beginning of change begins with learning Jesus. In fact, again, that's the invitation. John chapter 6, verses 44 and verse number 45. Jesus says, They shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. See it in action if you have your Bibles. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. What does it look like when we do this? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 17, is a pretty good example of how it works. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17, the Apostle Paul talking to now Christians who were once Gentiles in the flesh, who once lived the way he used to live by way of being in opposition to God and Christ. Down in verse number 17 of chapter 4, he says this, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. How do they walk, Paul? In the futility or vanity of their mind. Most people will not give enough credence to the mind and how important it is to what we think and how it relates to what we do. It's the mind that directs the body. It's the mind that directs the life. It's the mind and our thinking that ends up what we say and what we do. It's the mind. And so, with Scripture, it's always learning. It's always about changing the mind. In fact, if you want to change your life, please stop trying to change the effects. Please stop trying to change the consequences. Somebody has something they want to change, and all they deal with, well, this happens, and therefore I want to change that. The world is great at trying to deal with the effects. They're great at trying to give you a, a fast pill to fix it. Really, if you're ever going to make change, it's going to come from within, not from without. It's going to come from your mind and how your mind deals with whatever is ailing you. 
The mind has to change in order for the thing to change. In fact, the thing actually never will change. Your attitude, disposition, and use of the thing will only when you change your mind. And so Paul says they are walking in the vanity of their mind. But know what else he says in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of Christ that is in them because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. Paul says they've given themselves and they become callous, given themselves over to sensuality, the practice of every impurity and greediness. He says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ. Jesus Christ could very well both be the teacher in the classroom that the disciples learn, and he could just as well be the lesson in front of them that they read. He is both the teacher and the lesson. You learn Christ when you come to Christ, and immediately it has a profound impact on your mind. And so, verse number 21 says, if indeed you have heard of him, you have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. And so what happens in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted. That's what happens when you come to Jesus. You learn the truth, and when you learn the truth, you put down the error. I've been walking in darkness. That's the problem. I've been walking in ignorance. That's the problem. I've been walking with my understanding darkened. That's the problem. What is Jesus? He is light. I come to him. I learn. The light comes on. Oh, that's how I'm to live. You know what I do immediately is I put down the error. And so he says, indeed, you learn of him. Then you lay aside your former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit. And what happens then? I'm renewed in the spirit of my mind. Now that my mind is renewed, then verse 23 says, verse 24, rather, I put on the new self, which is created in Christ Jesus under holiness. Why haven't I made the changes and the requisite changes I want to? I know I need to. You don't have much time. Why won't you make them? I haven't made up my mind. I haven't changed my mind about the thing. You want to leave a legacy? Change your mind. Come to Jesus. Learn of him. The Bible says, with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is too hard from the Lord. If you came from poverty, it doesn't mean you can't serve, save money. It doesn't mean that. If your parents divorce, it doesn't mean you can't have a healthy and long, lifelong marriage. If you grew up around promiscuity, it doesn't mean you have to be sexually active before marriage. No one ever graduated in my family from high school or college doesn't mean you can't be the first one. No one's ever been faithful to God in my life doesn't mean you can't. In fact, you can be the first faithful Christian in your family, and you can have the effect of encouraging others to do the same. If you've suffered abuse, it doesn't mean you have to accept abuse doesn't mean you have to abuse somebody else. It's exceedingly hard to reject your rearing, overcome your influences, and avoid your examples. But if they are not of God, you can and you must. You see, God will then rear you. God will then influence you, and Christ will be the example to follow. He will take all of that away and give you a new thing to learn and then do. Number two. Don't allow yourself to make excuses here. We mentioned this morning that people tried it with God, and God has never accepted them. It's never stopped men from making them, and sometimes, if we're being quite honest and frank, we make them. We might call them reasons and other things, and sometimes reasons are legitimate. Let me just say that. Sometimes it is just a reason. This is what happened. That's fine. But you know that's not really what I mean. 
I mean those excuses we use to not do what we know we need to do. Those excuses that we allow and we use to stay comfortable in the very thing that we would admit, honestly, we need to change. We know we need to change it. We know we need to improve it. We know we need to stop it. And yet, we just make excuses to keep on doing it. Here's the reality. If you want to leave a legacy different than the one that's now written, don't allow yourself to make excuses. And maybe even further, don't accept them from you. You don't generally accept them from other people. So don't accept them from yourself. Adam said, the woman you gave to me. God said, I won't accept that, Adam. Did you eat it? He said, I did eat. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's another individual who makes excuses. God is very clear on what he wants done in the first three verses. You'll find that. But down in verse number 9, the Bible will say, but Saul spared. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. It's interesting how frequently people act as if God is not the one who's all-knowing. You don't suppose that God knew there was good lambs down there, do you? You don't suppose that God knew there were some good animals down there when he said, go destroy Amalek and all that they have, both infant and suckling, oxen and ass, camel and sheep, and everything down there. You don't suppose God knew that there was the good stuff down there, too. You see, that's what verse number 9 says. It begins with the word but. In contrast to what God says, the Bible says, but Saul and the people spared. But what did they spare? The best. They spared the best of the lambs and the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings, and they were not willing to destroy that, and they brought it unto God. That's what they said we're going to do with it. Samuel comes along, and this is what Saul says. Down in verse number 20 of chapter 15, Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Verse number 21, he says, but the people. Now, I did it. I went down there and I did just what God said to me. I did what he said. But you know, the people, well, they took some of the spoil and sheep and oxen and choices. They, now, listen, they did take them. However, they brought them to bring back to God. You know what this is? Some people are seeing this good. There is no good in this. This is an excuse. And this is wrong. And inevitably, this is rejected by God. There are people who are simply making excuses to continue to live the life they're living, even though they know in their heart of hearts it needs to be changed. Sometimes children become adults. And I've heard and talked to parents who sound like hostages. They just sound like their children have them hemmed up. And uh, the children are constantly telling the parents about the failures that they did in their lives and how they failed. And now, listen, I'm not here to defend every parent's behavior. Sometimes parents do mess up. How about that? And these also, though, are now stuck in the past. Every time their children come around, they blame their parents for their past failures. And by blaming the parents, they feel like it exonerates them from their present decisions. As a parent, I can tell you for sure that if you try to do this job well, you'll probably mess up sometimes. You'll probably make mistakes along the way, and you'll do one or two things you wish you hadn't when you look back. But for all of those young adults who have chosen to leave the Lord and are blaming their parents or the church, you are wrong and sadly mistaken. No parent is to blame for any adult choosing not to follow Jesus. 
Your parents are going to leave their legacy, and now you're leaving yours. So don't use the past to make an excuse and justify bad behavior in the present. Those decisions are yours. Your parents are going to leave their legacies, and now you are leaving yours. And your choices will determine your eternal destiny. And when you arrive on the shores of eternity, you will no more be able to say my parents than Adam was to say Eve or Saul was to say the people. Number three, the good news is you can make changes. It's never too late. Maybe there's some husbands and fathers here who need to make some changes. Listen, you can, and you can start tonight. You can do that. As a leader of the family, you can call a family meeting. I don't know about your house, but everybody gets excited when I say family meeting. Man, it's like Christmas. Boy, they just can't wait. <laughs> Woo, I mean, the excitement. I don't even say it that often because I don't like their blood pressure run up so high all the time. <laughs> but you can call a family meeting. Tell the family, hey, listen, we're going the wrong way. And as the leader of this house, I'm going to make changes. I need to follow me. Wives and mothers can make changes. Christians can make changes. Preachers can make changes. Elders can make changes. Changes can be made because God is a God of goodness and love and hope is never lost with God. And the refrain in Scripture over and over and over again is you can and you can and you can. That's God's position. The hope of heaven the hope of God is constantly that you can, that you can, that you can. The only hope is at some point you'll believe it. Paul did. Philippians chapter 4. Sometimes again I hear people say, that's my favorite passage. Well, that's great if you're living it. Philippians chapter 4 was not Paul's favorite passage. It was Paul's life written in a passage. Paul says in verse number 11, not that I speak in terms of want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. That would be a great place to start. Learn to be content. You want to make changes. You want to do right. Great. Get a good grasp of reality. Be thankful in everything. Rejoice sometimes. Find the good in the day and in life and in people. And then rejoice in that and be thankful everything's not bad. No, it's not even close. Paul's in prison. He said, I've learned to be content. But he says, in what state? He says, I know how to get along with humble means. Do you? I know how to get along in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What is the secret, Paul? I can. Say it again, I can, I can, I can. I'm overwhelmed when I hear Christians say, I can't. But wait, you need to make that change, but I can't. But wait, you're going the wrong way, but I can't. Wait, your soul is at stake, but I can't. No, a thousand times no. Yes, you can. Yes, you, you can do what? You can overcome sin. You can stop that bad practice. You can start that new practice. You can change your mind. It's yours. You can be different. Well, I'm just mean and surly. You ain't got to be. Oh, you can be pleasant. 
you can, when people see you, they can get so happy. Why? Because you're so joyous to be around. Yes, you can. But how can you do it? Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Christian friend, please stop telling yourself you can't. Because Paul says you can through Christ. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me assure you this, you are not. Your case, when brought to God, does not leave God confused. Your circumstances, when brought to God, does not leave heaven wondering, what can we do about that? Your set of circumstances, when entered into the space of eternity and the God of heaven, he does not look at that and say, I've never seen that before. With God, you can. He can. He can. He can. Number four, learn from and follow faithful examples. What do we have in the Bible over and over again? You should take the time to research Manasseh. Reigned in Israel, I believe, 55 years. Overwhelmingly, the majority of them were wicked and evil. In fact, you read about this man, you will be amazed. He did more evil than probably any king in the nation. And if you can imagine the evil, he probably did it. But near the end of his life, he repented and God forgave him. You go throughout the Bible and meet the Assyrians. Of all the nations you would have wanted to come conquer your land, you wouldn't have picked them. Some of the most barbaric and brutal people in ancient times. And Jonah preached eight words, and they repented. Peter changed his legacy. Aren't you glad we don't end with saying he denied even knowing the Lord? Aren't you glad we have Acts 2? Aren't you glad we have Acts 3 and 4 and 10? And aren't you glad we have 1 Peter and 2 Peter? He changed his legacy. He's not the apostle who simply denied the Lord. He's the apostle who denied the Lord and came back to the Lord. If your present legacy is not what you want, it can be changed. Good news is God will receive you. God will forgive you. God will renew you. God will reform you. And God will restore you. And God's word will guide you if you Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Number five, don't squander this opportunity to rewrite your legacy. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. No doubt you've seen this in people's lives, and you've likely seen it in your own life, that people can change, and they do. Several years ago, I was preaching in a gospel meeting. When the invitation was offered, a gentleman came down front, and he came down to the, to the front, and he sat in one of the chairs or pews. At first, I thought he was one of the elders coming down to receive people who might come forward, but actually he was coming forward to respond himself. They went through the regular routine, and that is they, they after the service, they took his, during the service, they took his confession, they stood up and they made a prayer, and 
then we dismissed the service, and I was out in the back of the foyer there just shaking people's hands as we do and saying good night and thanking people for coming. And some brother came over to me, and he said, do you know who that was? I said, no, I don't know who that was. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the person who came down front, do you know him? Do you know who that was? I said, no, no idea, but I'm thankful that he came. He said, that man has been away from the Lord for 50 years. He came back tonight. You know, you can change. And he did. Because nothing's too hard for the Lord. Don't squander this opportunity to change. Finally, this. Take charge of your life. Take charge of your life. If you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 5 with me. Legacies are not predetermined. Legacies can be changed. Please don't accept or make excuses for yourself. Trust in the Lord and learn his word and change your mind. Don't squander this opportunity and take charge of your life. Now, as you're there in Acts chapter 5 and you're reading this, this is about, as you know, Ananias and Sapphira, and individuals are doing good and being benevolent, as you see that at the end of Acts chapter 4. And they are selling their goods, and they're bringing them and laying them at the apostles' feet. This is what leads into Acts chapter 6 with the dispute about the Grecian widows. And the idea really here behind Acts chapters 5 and 6, the end of chapter 4, is that when they're selling their goods, they're bringing it to the apostles and they're putting it in front of them. And so the apostles are sort of like a bank. They're bringing the monies and the goods set in before them, and the apostles then are taking and receiving the goods and the money and making distribution. And, and so some of that distribution was not being made appropriately, as people think, relative to those widows. And so that kind of breaks out the discussion of Acts chapter 6. But here in Acts chapter 5, some individuals sold some lands and goods, and they brought it and laid it before the apostles, but they lied about it. Now, I'm not talking about money. So I'd like to slightly modify the thought not about money, which is what the context is about, but rather about your life, about your life. And I'd like for you to listen to what Peter says and apply it not to money again, but about your life. And so verse number one, but a man named Ananias, wife of Ryan, sold a piece of property, kept back some of the price for himself with his wife full of knowledge, bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? Now from there, the phrase in verse number four. Again, with reference to your life, Peter says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? He's talking about money. Slightly modify it and think about your life. While it remains, whose is it? While your life remains, is it not your own? Is it not in your power? That's his point. Now, his point is about the money. I'm asking you, consider that about your life. While it remains, under whose control is it? Peter's point to them is, it is in your hands. You had say as to how it would go. You were at the helm and directing it where it would go. You had the power to change its course. You were the captain of the ship. You were the CEO of the company. You were the keeper of the time. You were in charge of what you learned. You were the human resources department of your life. 
You were the author of the book. You were the editor of the book if changes needed to be made. Here's the question again. While it remained, was it not in your power? But Peter has a second follow-up. Peter says, secondly, after it was sold, was it not under your control? And here's the problem. People have sold their lives. They've sold their lives. That's the problem. Some people have sold their life to doubt. They sold their life to disbelief. Sold their life to despair. They sold their life to other people. Sold it to possessions. Sold their life to pride. Sold your life to shame. Sold it to sadness and to selfishness. Sold your life to misery and to miserliness. Sold it to materialism. Sold your life to excuses. Sold your life to entertainment. Sold your life to experimentation. And here's the thing. When people sell their lives, they think they're free of it. They think it removes them from responsibility of it. But if you look at what Peter says, Peter says, even after you sold it, was it not under your control? Even when you sell your life to a thousand other things and a thousand other people other than you, it's still under your control. If you want to make changes, let me ask you a question. While it remains, whose is it? And if you sold it, go buy it back, because it's still under your control. And one day, the time will expire. And who will you blame for what you did with your life? If you want to write a legacy, now is the time, while it remains, it's in your hands, and you can fix it and write it any way you see fit. Not a Christian tonight. Become one. No greater legacy could be said than I obeyed the gospel. No greater legacy can be said than what Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Would you examine yourself? Examine your legacy, and if necessary, make changes while you can. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and repent of your sins. Confess his name and be buried with him in baptism and let God save you. Start walking in newness of life. But if you are his child, it's in your hands and it's under your control. And if you want it to be different, you have the power and God-given help to make it so. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.